the circulars. Hi everyone, I hope you are fine. My name is Flavio, I'm a master's student in architecture at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne. Today, I'm welcoming you to our podcast about circular cities. But before jumping into it, a small introduction of one of the works of our guests of today. Rania Gossen and Helhadi Jazairi called Petrified Carbon. Somewhere in the desert, sounds of mechanical movement disturb our senses. It is the pipelines of the oil industry injecting carbon dioxide through the same hole, as it was used to extract oil. The fossil fuel industry is reusing their gas reservoirs as carbon sequestration sites. But actually, this process of injecting CO2 into porous rock surfaces is just another way to squeeze out more oil that cannot be extracted otherwise. The earth is trembling and cracking under pressure. A little further away from this site, not far from the shore, tankers are transporting oil from this extraction site. These tankers are surrounded by open water algae plantations capturing the carbon dioxide emissions from these earth cracks. The ocean then absorbs one-third of human greenhouse gas emissions. But from another point of view, the water is becoming more and more acidic and harmful to marine life. A few kilometers from there, the city generates another sound disturbance. The sound of carbon capture machines, smoke carbon eating towers. Carbon scrubbers run along the facade capturing carbon dioxide and releasing clean air into the atmosphere. Here, other machines work to convert the CO2 into baking soda, bleach and other products. The carbon is compressed at high pressure and high temperature and turned into diamond. The carrot is the new unit of measurement. This scene I just described is an extract of 5 series petrified carbon from the book The Planet After Geoengineering, book co-authored by Rania Gossen, and El Hadi founding partners of DesignHerd. The extract depicts the future Earths we might inhabit as a result of geoengineering interventions. The architectural research practice DesignHerd engages this kind of representations as a speculative medium to make visible and public the geographies of the climate crisis. So today I'm happy to welcome you, Professor El Hadi Jazairi, to our podcast on a discussion about circular thinkings. So before jumping into it, I'd just like to compliment you for your work on your books, like Geographies of Trash, Geostories, another architecture for the environment, but also for your exhibition of the planet after geoengineering that was at the last Japanese Biennale. And if I'm not wrong, I think this exhibition is at the moment at the Onassis Stegi in Athens. Is that right? Absolutely, that's right. So to describe a little bit more this book, The Planet After Geoengineering, it's an illustrated essay that outlines concerns about the concept of geoengine, modifying progressively our planet. The book questions some of the motivations and forms of participation of the governance of the geoengineering. And this essay tries to outline through five geostories the geopolitical implication of operating at the scale of the planet and wants to make you understand what the geo 
in geopolitics means as a material to create discussion. Is it right? Absolutely, Flavio. Thank you very much for your interest in the work of Design Earth. We are very excited to have this discussion today with you. We have started the, the practice some 10 years ago at the Harvard Graduate School of Design when Rania and I met and decided to launch design research practice based on our own research investigations. So very much interested in reframing design questions through geographical, a geographic framework. So the geo, of course, is a key element of the work of designers, the geographic. Why is the geographic important? I think for us, it was a way to reinforce the discipline by extending the scope and extending the role of architecture, urbanism, urban design, urban planning, and understanding that, uh, you know, we had to think about the challenges of the profession in relation to global questions, in relation to, you know, climate change, in particular, environmental questions. And we had to find a way to do this. And uh, we believed that uh, geography was the right framework to do that. Myself, after having read your book, The Planet After January, I was feeling engaged in the cause I wanted to change the world, or at least not going into these speculative scenarios you, you describe on your book. So what is the, the relationship between the almost political aesthetic of your graphic novel and the message behind your work? How do you see yourself as a, a medium of uh, communication or representation? Very good question. So um, in, on the question of communication, representation, broadcasting. Uh, so I want to say that the traditional role of architecture has always been uh, a role of uh, reflection and sometimes anticipation in the case of the avant-garde architecture uh, of the uh, relationships and structures of particular societies, social structures, economic structures, political structures. So um, representation is at the core of the discipline. The production of architecture has always been material and theoretical and sometimes both you know, buildings and treaties. Architecture's role is to crystallize this, these set of uh, uh, relationships into a spatial uh, context, but also to represent, to materialize, to uh, make tangible these uh, relationships. So there is a double role of architecture that has traditionally always been there. One is to provide a space for these relationships to uh, happen, to evolve, to, uh, to be supported. And second is to represent the nature, the substance, the, part the particularities of those uh, re relationships. So today, 
so we are in front of uh, a global question that uh, that is a big challenge uh, and that uh, uh, that is challenging also uh, uh, architecture so uh, this is an existential question and our role is in, in this context is to be able to understand what is the question and how can we represent this particular question as architecture has always represented a set of social, political, economical, environmental relationships in a particular context. So the first role of architecture is also to be able to represent this, uh, this crisis and to, to make it visible, uh, to capture you know, the nature of this crisis, um, uh, by uh, by pinpointing the elements of the crisis, I I think uh, that uh, you know the work of Bruno Latour has uh, uh, you know has has been really instrumental in terms of uh, conceptualizing uh, you know the 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 potential response of architecture in relation to these big challenges. And I think uh, when Bruno Latour talks about uh, loving your monsters, he's exactly uh, pinpointing, he's exactly show, showing us the way forward, which means uh, the monsters are the children that we have uh, put into this world. And so architecture is, is also responsible in this crisis and i think uh, the 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 way forward is to be able to be responsible and to uh, to uh, address you know some of these problematic behaviors uh, some of these challenges that are emerging through architecture through design design has produced the challenge design can also uh, participate in resolving the challenge. Uh, I like very much, you know, the story of Frankenstein, you know, Victor, this uh, scientist producing the Frankenstein. And at the end, Frankenstein is sad and is asking Victor, uh, who is the scientist that produced him, to love him, but Victor has abandoned Frankenstein. So I think we should love our monsters, means we should stay there, stay with the trouble, understand the challenges and try to fix them through design and try to work through some of their challenges, their challenges and, and uh, contribute uh, through design. Design has a role to play and and uh, this role can only be played if we are responsible, if we're able to confront, if we're able to acknowledge, you know, some of the mistakes that we, we contributed to produce. And so I, I think, you know, when you acknowledge these mistakes, then I think you're able to, uh, uh, to operate a change so architecture's role, yes, is about 
the manifestations of the challenges of the moment. It's about representation. It's about reflection. It's about communication. And um, I think it's the role of every architect to prioritize meaning uh, in his work and make choices in relation to his priorities. And architecture you know, is a language and that can ex express you know, what are these challenges. Uh, architecture is an, a non-alphabetical communicator. It carries you know, all the meaning that one um, can project uh, into it. So that's, uh, that's why architecture is also theory. That's why theory is so important in our discipline because you know, architecture is a language in itself and is able to, to do that. So uh, as Design Earth, we have a double platform. We have a professional platform, but also an academic one. And both of these uh, platforms are opportunities to communicate and opportunities also to contribute to change. So uh, with, you know, through my role uh, at the university, I, I, I work with the students and there is no day uh, where, uh, you know, uh, uh, where you know environmental concerns are not in the big picture about you know the challenges of the discipline. So I think we have to uh, think about a, a renewed contract with the environment. We have to think about the discipline, but in relation to environmental challenges, you know, way to relate to the planet in a less abusive way, in a less extractive way trying to be, uh, trying to integrate the limits of, of, uh, of the environment of this world. And basically just trying to be a good citizen uh, of the planet in this uh, global, global age. But uh, what do you mean by a good citizen? A good citizen, I, I, I mean, so we, we are uh, now aware that the world has limits, right? In terms of resources. And, you know, as a, you know, as citizens of this world, we have to understand that, you know, our behavior needs to acknowledge those limits. It's, it's like, you know, when you own a house, right? So you know that, you know, there are possibilities, you know, for, you know, what you can do in this house and there are limits to those possibilities, right? So you have to, to understand that you, you cannot uh, consume all the resources of the planet or of the house. Uh, uh, and that's, you know, there is a balance to, to, to keep in mind. As many people and myself, but also as architects, we often are stimulated by art, by science fiction, by movies, by exhibitions, and so on. So, to what extent do you think we could or should integrate these artistic stimulations into our projects? What are the tools we can use to communicate and how can we be sure the intended message is understood? Yes, so in, indeed we have, a, so we have a responsibility in this crisis. And we have to acknowledge that. Um, 
Arturo Escobar, you know, uh, you know the, the design for the multiverse talks about uh, the contribution of architects, uh, you know, and the responsibility of architects in this crisis. So that's the first step. Understand that we are part of it. Understand that uh, we supported uh, the agents that produced, you know, this crisis. Uh, in, in this regard, I think we have to also uh, think about how we can fix it. You know, what, what is, if we are responsible citizens, if we want the discipline to behave in a responsible way, then we have to ask ourselves, so what, what direction can we take in order to uh, contribute to fixing or to reorienting at least the discipline in a way that it's uh, less abusive in the relation that it's more uh, um, productive in relation to environment. Um, to be able to do that, I think you, you need to, uh, to be heard, right? You need to find an audience. How can the discipline, how can I as an architect be heard by a crowd that is beyond the architecture crowd. You, know, you need to speak to a large audience. How do you do that? How do you engage a, an audience of non-designers? That's a very important question now. Our discipline wants to contribute. How can the discipline con contribute by um, using a language that makes sense? By using a language that uh, can be understood. By, by communicating in an efficient way. Um, architecture, as I said in my first point, architecture is communication, right? The, the, one of the uh, primary role of architecture is to communicate what the society is about. So how can we use this, you know, these uh, fundamental elements of architecture to communicate again? but to communicate not only to uh, a crowd of architects, but also to a, a much bigger audience. I think uh, in relation to the crisis of the environment, we have to go back to what defines us as a discipline. Representation, uh, drawings, models, sections, perspectives, axonometries, uh, installations. You know, all of these elements are the tools of the discipline. This is how architects communicate with the contractors. This is how architects communicate to the, the, uh, to the owners, to the city, to whoever is, you know, part of a project. You know, these tools of representation are essential, not only essential to produce a material uh, project, but also essential to comprehend what the, what the goal is and where we can go. So uh, I propose, or, or, or we, we have been using architecture tools uh, to talk about the environmental crisis, because this crisis is, uh, a crisis that is difficult to talk about and difficult to hear about 
it's uh, uh, a crisis that is difficult to understand in terms of its scale. It's difficult to uh, comprehend in terms of its duration. It's uh, ubiquitous, it's complex, it's uh, uh, difficult to imagine. So we want to use architecture tools to, you know, the miniature model, the monumental drawing, the section elevation, to be able to talk about some of these elements in, um, in a way that situates uh, the problem. The, the comparative advantage of architecture tools is that they situate, you know, the, they situate a particular subject matter, right? In a section uh, elevation, you have a context, you have a ground, you have a, uh, you know, you have a site. So this is what, this is what uh, we want to do. And we want to do it in uh, relation to, uh, uh, to, to this uh, time of great acceleration. So it's, a, it's an era of great acceleration and we want to do it uh, using a slow medium. So slow medium is a medium that um, uh, allows you to understand but incrementally through time. So you do not understand it immediately. It doesn't jump to your face. It just produces, it works on it works on you and allows you to, it sinks in, allows you to understand step by step in a profound, in a deep, in an incremental way, you will be able to understand, you know, what the crisis is about. So the, the, to, to, to answer your question, architecture is communication and architecture has a role to play uh, to uh, convey the challenges of the cli of climate crisis because um, data and infographic documents are not enough. People want to uh, uh, understand the meaning Right? It's, it's not have the data. Once you have the data, it's useful. But what is the meaning of the data? The meaning of the data is, is the provision of a context to this data. And this is what architecture is about. Yes, and uh, you know, we, we are living in a time where the development of technologies is accelerating more and more. I'm thinking of the quick development of the communication tools during the, the world pandemic. And do you think the, the medium you are using to reach the reader's consciousness could use technology like the metaverse or augmented reality in order to, to project and immerse the viewer inside the kind of scenarios you, you are trying to describe in your installations or in your drawings? Very good. So... Um... The challenge for Design Earth or the goal for Design Earth is to use architecture to talk about the crisis. Um, we, we think that uh, technology is, is, is key in this uh, uh, problem, in this challenge. And, and um, technology has produced uh, um, 
incredible tools to allow us to to do that and so we we you know we we investigated what were the institutions that talked about the planet previously uh, you know the natural history museums as institutions have um, spend a lot of energy and have produced uh, incredible technology in order to allow people to understand the world, understand the oceans, understand you know flora, fauna, understand you know the balance, understand thresholds, understand biology, understand science. So for for us. Um, it, it was very important to go back to what has been produced in terms of technology in the past that was talking about the planet and the environment, because this is what matters for us. This is what's mo the most important. How can we talk about the planet? How can we talk about this crisis that the planet is going through? And so we went to the uh, New York City Museum of Natural History. We went to uh, a lot of uh, science museums and um, we were interested in dioramas. We were interested in aquariums. We were interested in a lot of the technologies that were deployed in order to allow visitors to understand what the world is about, what life, what different life forms uh, have emerged and, and how they constitute, you know, the planet. And so we have used the aquarium uh, in, par in particular in a project uh, called the Pacific Aquarium that was talking about the challenges of the clarion Clipperton fracture zone, the extraction of rare earth minerals in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, a territory that is uh, in the international uh, sea uh, territory and that uh, is as big as the as big as Europe in terms of, of size and so we use the aquarium we use nine aquariums if you go back to the project to be able to talk about the issues so this is go back to the the role of or to the ambition of design earth to, to use uh, architecture use models use drawings use sections to talk about climate change issues. Extracting these rare earth minerals will constitute a challenge for the environment, will affect you know, the seabed. Um, and, and so this is what we do. Uh, but we also questions, questioned the, the role of certain technologies developed in the Natural History Museum, such as taxidermy, uh, in particular, you know, uh, you know the, uh, you know, in in the New York uh, Museum of Natural History, uh, the, the, there are some elephants that were brought back from Africa, and uh, that are displayed in uh, in a hall in the museum. And we discussed, you know, the technology of taxidermy, you know, to display what the world is about. And we talked 
uh, you know, critically about some of these uh, issues. And we talked about it uh, through uh, an animation that is called the elephant in the room, because there, there was an elephant in the hall that was actually hunted by a US president and his son. And we produced an animation that is talking about that and that is also talking about the role architecture can play in, in revealing the history of uh, our relationship to the planet and to be thinking about it in a critical way. We produced also uh, you know, several projects that uh, were meant to contribute um, to raising the voice of the crowds of bodies in public space, bodies protesting, bodies claiming uh, you know, that we needed to acknowledge the emergency of the climate. Um, uh, uh, incredible crowds uh, that were in the streets talking about climate emergency. We produced flags uh, for the Orléans Biennale uh, entitled Act as if our house is on fire, because it is. Uh, so two flags, two huge flags that were um, displayed in a street in Orléans, in a Jeanne d'Arc street, that were showing the planet on fire. And that were showing the planet as a house on fire. Um, we also produced uh, a flag for uh, Cornell uh, in a commission, uh, you know, Cornell uh, asked us to uh, participate in a commemor commemoration of the Earth Day. And we said that we wanted to contribute uh, to that com com commemoration by uh, connecting with uh, Greta Thunberg's visit to the United Nations in New York. And Greta Thunberg came by boat from Europe and we wanted to celebrate uh, you know, that event. And actually Cornell as a campus, as a whole campus, Cornell University uh, celebrated that moment. And there was a march, a rally across Cornell University that was celebrating that moment and the importance of the climate emergency at the scale of the university. But it has started, the march started on top of the architecture building. So architecture was leading uh, the march. So architecture was responsible of uh, you know, creating a departure point for this march. And so we used the flag as a, as a way to talk about this climate uh, crisis. The flag we designed talking about our carbon budget uh, in a graphic way, the uh, uh, flag that was carried by students, by staff members, by faculty members, and that you know, went across the university. So that's also a way we want to contribute by also using design in order to raise the voice of activists. We are not activists, we are 
designers, but we want also to be engaged designers and engaged citizens. So you asked me a little bit earlier about the metaverse. I'm coming to this topic. So the, the metaverse is, uh, has always existed in some way, you know, since internet has been there, right? So I want to remember the work of uh, Jack Dangermont at the Harvard Computer Lab for Graphics. So Jack Dangermont created the Harvard Computer Lab for uh, Graphics. And uh, so modelization of urbanism has, has been important since a very long time. And Jack Dangermont created later on, went on creating ESRI and you know, mapping the world and this uh, digital encyclopedia. Uh, so, and, and also rethinking what a map was, right? A map is not anymore a flat two-dimensional document. A map is, is a sort of um, an encyclopedia of, of situated knowledge. A digital map gives you, is a, 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 a document that captures events through time and that replicates you know, some of these locations. So the metaverse has always existed in some way. Uh, I think you know, we can talk about you know, second life, we can talk about second earth, uh, we can talk about lots of different softwares, you know, thinking about you know, creating a sort of di digital world and replicating the world in a digital format. And if you think about the time we spend in, in, in front of the screen, which constitute you know, more or less 12 hours a day, if you add to that you know, the, the dream space, uh, you know, there is very little time spent in one-to-one -one real space, uh, physical space, material space. And so indeed there is a, there is a big challenge there and the metaverse is, is, is of course um, a very important uh, domain. Um, but I, I, I want to understand from you, you know, what is, in, what is in your mind when you ask about the metaverse? What, what do you think is the future of the metaverse in relation to, you know, climate change issues? It's for me more like a tool. Uh, you can use it to really get into the point, to the message uh, you are trying to send or to exploit. So it's mainly a tool, a tool very immersive where your senses are stimulated and can contribute to understand the message. But yes, I think it could be useful. But we know that it could be also deflected from the, this kind of message delivery. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, in, in terms of uh, technology, I'm, I'm very interested in, you know, what are the technologies that can allow us, representation technologies that can allow us to uh, represent the challenges or represent just the planets, represent the world. Bruno Latour talked about, um, you know, the critical zone. And I find this qu quite stimulating. Uh, the critical zone is 
this uh, very thin crust on 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 the earth that uh, that supports life it is constitu constituted by the atmosphere uh, canopy the soil uh, and the subsoil so the interaction between these layers very thin layers um, is is a support system for whatever has been described as life in terms of geophysical transformation co2 uh, nitrate uh, oxygen hydrogen you know the exchange between all of these four layers is able to create in a life and evolution in this life. So my question is, how can we, through technology and through software, be able to um, capture what, whatever is going on in terms of representation? Because when we will be able to capture them, that, then we will be able to develop politics uh, that are able to understand what is going on, able to, you know, model the changes of, you know, whatever is going on in these uh, four layers will be, you know, made visible and we can adjust and manage. So uh, at, at, that, at that point, you know, I, I think we can uh, become responsible citizens because we will be able to understand what is the interplay between these different things. So the challenge now is to be able to represent the earth in, in, in a way that is productive, that is understanding, that there is revealing the challenge, the vulnerability of this, uh, of this system. Uh, Bruno Latour talked about uh, the need to change from you know, blue marble, right? This image taken in the 60s of the planet, where actually it's, it, it, it is very problematic image because it doesn't capture the current challenges. So how do you move from this representation that is not capturing the challenges? Because you know the politics uh, are having an impact on representation and representation is also useful to develop politics. So if you have a correct representation, then you can develop an appropriate politic, you know, appropriate set of political tools. So Bruno Latour talked about you know, this uh, critical zone as an alternative, you know, the representation of the critical zone as an alternative to uh, blue marble. I think that's something that I find interesting. So any technological tools that will be able to capture you know, uh, you know, the life on the planet and the environment in a, in a model would be useful is something that is uh, would be uh, extremely imp important to us because then we will be able to see what's going on at the level and monitor at the level of the environment and we'll be able to see you, you know what are the repercussions of certain actions you know certain constructions certain behaviors you know how can we um you know, how can we, um, uh, what is the effect, the appropriate effect in order to generate uh, an expected outcome? Uh, I think uh, uh, climate change is 
is um, a really complex issue. And I think we need digital space and we need digital technology in order to compute you know, all, of these, all, 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 all of these data into a model that can be uh, understood by people. Like ESRI did, ESRI, Jack Dangermont, did a model that has completely revolutionized what the map is. Now, you know, you, you always rely on, you know, the navigation technology of your phone to, you know, go from one place to the other, to shop, to... So you can also imagine uh, a digital technology that captures whatever is going on in terms of environment, in terms of, you know, the quality of the air, in terms of the, the, the quality of the canopy, in terms of the quality of the soil, the quality of the subsoil, the, the interactions that exist between these different layers and the geophysical transformations that are happening, whether they're producing more life and more biodiversity or less. So you are Associate Professor of Architecture at the University of Michigan, Director of Master of Urban Design Degree Program and co-founder of Design Earth. And I was wondering, what is your career path? What were the first motivations and forms of participation you developed that became the, the reason for alerting people to the climate crisis? You know, the essence of our motivation, basically in relation to climate crisis may be related to one particular event. Um, I, I, I think so one very important moment, I, I, I think is for Design Earth was, you know, the participation in this, uh, in, in, in this, uh, protests and in, indeed it is uh, it, 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 it was for us um, important to ask ourselves how can we use basically uh, the discipline you know to support something that we thought was dem a democratic manifestation the young generations in the streets, very aware of what was going on and very educated about the crisis and, and taking on responsibility, not going to schools on Fridays for their own futures, going out there and, you know, and, and trying to convince you know, a leadership that didn't seem to care so much So we said, you know, how can we as a discipline also become responsible and take a leadership role in these events? Because, you know, there is a change that is happening right now. It is an incremental change. And this is why we are also very optimistic somehow. This is what motivates our work is that we feel um, things are changing pretty rapidly. And there is an acknowledgement that these are priorities. And I think this is thanks to all of these um, initiatives. Um, 
but there are initiatives that are by citizens. Now, how do you take these initiatives from the, the, the scale of subjects to the scale of institutions, and then from the scale of institutions to um, policies, policies and, and then generate transformation. So we, we thought we had a role to play, you know, as a, academics, as professionals, you know, to participate and to raise the voice and raise the level of, you know, these claims and, and these, um, these legitimate claims and these important movements. So we were very proud to see that, uh, you know, architecture schools uh, as institutions have participated in a leadership role in relation to that. And this has, um, has an enormous effect. So not in terms of design objects, but in terms of change, right? So the design object is one flag, uh, but the, the change is much more important. The change uh, that has been produced is much more important, is a contribution to a crowd, a contribution to um, uh, is a, a, um, a march, a rally that has ultimately um, made its way in Cornell. And today Cornell has also decided to divest from fossil fuels, which is, uh, you know, the, the, the result of a lot of efforts from different peoples and in particular people that are working from Cornell to, um, to allow this uh, thing to happen. So there is a big change that is happening. And academia has always been a space of freedom, a space of um, profound reflection, uh, where, you know, where the world is being um, reconsidered, where old ideas are being reformulated. And I think it's the, the, the role of people like you to participate in these bold uh, ambitions and to, to think, you know, what are the priorities for the future? How can I uh, be part? How can I manifest these priorities? What is important for me and for the world? And how can I do that as an architect? And I'm, I'm very um, optimistic because I think architecture has a very important role to play in relation to these big challenges. I am, I, I think that uh, we, we need to be aware and we need to take a leadership role, not to wait for the change to happen and then change, but you know, be part of the crowd that is pulling uh, towards these changes. And I think, you know, a lot of my students, I direct the urban design program at the University of Michigan, and a lot of my students are, you know, um, very active on campus in their ideas to, for example, rediscuss alterna alternative materials, uh, you know, for example, mycelium, right? Constructing with mycelium, mycelium bricks, uh, you know, rethinking about the sort of um, energy 
balance of you know construction materials you know rethinking about you know a lot of uh, uh, you know the the processes that exist in the building sector you know could be also rethought in terms of energy efficiency you know carbon neutrality but not only at the building scale at the at the sort of urbanism scale you know we can you know that there are a lot of things that we can do and um, I, I think your generation is just ready to do that exactly we need some motivation And I think you really point out very important questions. So, uh, Professor Josiri, thanks a lot for your contribution. I really appreciate your, your company and I hope with this knowledge transmission, we might and maybe we will change the, the world. Thank you, Flavio. It was a pleasure to talk to you today. And I'm always inspired and I'm always learning from... Uh, you know your generations and you know the the energy that you bring to the table thank you professor jazairi thank you very much i really appreciate i wish you a good day and see you soon Bye -bye. yeah so now i invite you to have a look at the website design-earth.org and to check the instagram account design earth thanks again for listening and see you soon this episode was hosted and produced by flavio pereira The Circulars is a production of the Media and Design Lab, based at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne. For more, visit our website at ldm.epfl.ch.